0: Hey guys, it's John Olson with the John Olson Show. I'm here with my friend Joe Dramisi. Hey, how's it going, Joe?
1: (laughs) Oh, it's going great.
0: Great Awesome. Joe's with the San Diego County Gun Owners, and uh, he's pretty much badass. Does a lot of cool stuff around uh, East County and uh, makes sure that uh, we have cool events to go to and that everybody's safe when they go. So that's kind of a a neat thing. You're part of the San Diego County Gun Owners Board? Yeah, that's uh, one of many things I do, but yeah. Yeah, cool so um, you know uh, Heather who's usually here but she's sick today so she's not coming in um, wanted to introduce us so we could talk about situational awareness and those kinds of um, things that seem to happen more uh, during the holidays when people are distracted um, do you have a class or what how do how can we help people uh, pay attention to what's going on around them so we do a number of different things here. And the reason, the way
1: I got into the situational awareness things, uh, like you're saying, I do a, a lot of different things. One of the things I do is I'm a firearms instructor and um, I'm one of the number of um, firearms instructors that are approved by the sheriff here in San Diego County to do the uh, the state mandated concealed carry classes. So as part of that, you know, when, when uh, more and more people now are getting their concealed carry license in San Diego County, we finally got that that back and you probably talked to michael about that. yeah we that did talk the, to my big about achievement that. there or one of the big achievements with san diego county gun owners um but we uh more and more people were about almost eight thousand licenses now so people are getting their concealed carry license and the idea with concealed carry and this this applies to everybody to us not just people that are armed out there but um the idea with concealed carriers is you you that that should be the last resort um you know, if you get yourself into a situation where you actually have to use the gun, um, that's then your situational awareness failed. Basically, so what we try to tell people is, okay, you want to be paying attention to things that are around you, um, and there's certain things you don't want to do, certain things you do want to do, and um, you want to avoid. I guess the, a, a way that um, that some people talk about it is, uh, you want to fail the victim selection process. I guess. Gotcha. Okay, so, you want to look
0: uh, as. Um as least vulnerable as possible. Yeah.
1: You want them to pick the other guy. Don't yeah. pick me. And, um, you know, criminals
0: are, um, are predators
1: really and that, and they just prey on people. And, um, if you, in one of the classes that I talk about, I use, or that I teach, I use a, um, there's a picture of, it looks like a group of people on safari and they've got their range rover and they're all looking out over the Savannah and there's a guy standing on the roof and they're all looking out in one direction right behind them across the little dirt road that they're on is a lion sitting there watching them. And, you know, that's the intro to situational awareness because situational awareness, the, um, the term is just, you know, it's kind of the the techie term for just paying attention. That's really all. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You keep
0: your head on a swivel and yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it's not even that much, um, you know, cause you don't have to be all whacked out and paranoid about it and everything, but you just need to pay attention to your surroundings. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about is we'll say awareness buys you time, time buys you options. So the sooner you notice something going on, the more options you have. And, um, like we were saying a little bit earlier, criminals are predators basically. So they'll, they'll look at a group of people and then they, they pick out who they're going to, you know, victimize, say who they're going to do their thing with and um you know they look at certain things there's a um, there was a study that was done gosh a while ago i think the late 90s or something like that where they um they interviewed prisoners uh federal prisoners that were in prison for violent crimes and things like that and they showed these prisoners a bunch of videos of just general groups of people people out on the street on sidewalks and you know and the stores and things like that and they asked the prisoners to pick out, um, okay, who would you who would you go after here out of this group? And the prisoners consistently picked the same people out of all these different videos. And a lot of the times they couldn't articulate exactly because they all what weren't they were in the for.
0: same room at the same time. No, no, no. Yeah. These are
1: all separate people. Sure. Yeah, and um, it's just things that they look for. They look for people that that don't look like they're paying attention. People that look like they're they're lost or they don't belong where they're at. Um, People that are kind of shuffling as they walk, as opposed to standing straight up and walking purposefully, uh, and things like that. So they look for certain things. So when we teach about situational awareness, you know, we tell people, okay, pay attention to you know how you're behaving out there. They talk about the uh, the color codes of uh, awareness, basically. And uh, there's four different conditions. There's um, there's white, yellow, orange, and red. And uh, people that are in condition white, they say, are people, and you'll see this if when you leave here today, just walk around out there, you'll see lots of people in condition white. And these are people that are staring at their phones. They're not really aware of what's around them. Uh, you walk right past them, they don't even know you're there. Uh, that's a bad thing. That's what criminals look for. They look for people like that. That's uh, one of the things they look at. Condition yellow is what we say is where you should be. Um and again, it's not all paranoid head on a swivel looking at everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just paying attention. You know, leave your phone in your pocket. Uh you know, aside from uh the phone attracting your attention, it's a what, $700 thing that you're exactly waving around, around. there, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, you know, leave your phone in your pocket, pay attention to where you're going and pay attention to who's around you because that's the other thing. Um There's you know certain places we talk about the rules of stupid and I think they attribute that to John Farnham who's a big firearms guy. Um, But you know he says don't go stupid places at stupid times and do stupid things with stupid people. And you know if you violate one of those, you're probably okay. If you violate two or more, you're probably going to have a problem. And um, you know certain places you go. If you pull into the gas station, pull into a Seven Eleven to get gas at midnight. all right. That's kind of a stupid place at a stupid time. You know, you need to organize your life such that I, I don't need gas at midnight. I can get gas tomorrow morning. Right. You know, and it's that kind of stuff. It's paying attention. When you pull into a gas station, um, looking for things that, that are out of the ordinary, like when you pull in, you would expect to see cars parked by the pumps with people standing around. Um, you would not necessarily expect to see a car parked out on the side of the parking lot with maybe three guys sitting in it you know it's it's that kind of stuff when you walk into a store or 711 like that um pay attention when you walk through the door who's in there you know as you're opening the door it's all glass you know is the clerk behind the counter or is it completely abandoned in there who else is in there with you it's just
0: noticing that kind of stuff sounds a lot like defensive driving just paying attention to well it going is on. even the driving
1: aspect of it right cuz uh carjackings are growing nowadays as is a lot of violent crime in the last couple of years but um, even when you're driving, you know, driving with your your windows up and the doors locked. I mean, it's most modern cars. I think it's hard to drive without the doors locked. But I think sure. uh, you can still do that. Um, when you pull up, when you pull up to a stop sign, again, or a light, or something like that, you're in traffic, like here in Santee. Um, pay attention around you. Are there is there somebody standing on the curb? Because I mean, for someone to hurt you, they have to get to you. So a good place to get to you is when you're stopped like that. That's how carjackings happen. Um, if you pull up, uh, to the light, do you pull right up to the guy in front of you? So that there's no place to go. If something happens, you know, if somebody comes up and taps on the side of the window or something like that. Is there anything you could do? They tap on the side of the window with a gun. What are you going to do? And, um, you know, if you're in the car, you've got for one, you're kind of surrounded. So at least you have one barrier in front of you. Uh, if the car is in gear, like it should be, you know, now you can take off. Maybe you can do something, but you can, if you hem yourself in. So it's just paying attention and looking for stuff like that. Um, You know, even sitting in your car, uh, you know, they talk about cars being transitional spaces or um, places that the public have access to. So, you know, okay, if you have to pull over, say you're sitting in the parking lot, uh, like when I leave here today, you know, I'll go out here. I will pay attention as I walk through the parking lot. Um, Who's in the parking lot with me? Is there a car full of people sitting in the parking lot next to my car? Uh, Something like that. When I get in the car, I'll get in, I'll lock the doors and uh, I'll start the, the truck and I'll leave. I'm not going to sit there and, and play around. Oh, you're not going
0: to check your email? I do that all the time,
1: I, yeah. Well, you know what? And and you can do that mm-hmm. turn the motor on, all right? Put the car in gear, put on the brake, be able to hit the gas and move if you had to.
0: Okay, that <laughs> so makes sense. That, that's mm-hmm. the way
1: to do it, but I mean, it's just paying attention to things. Uh, so there's a lot of little things like that that you can do to avoid problems because, um. You know, we we're saying criminals are predators, and they pick people. One of the things they look for is people that are not going to be a problem. You know, and it's it's not that the criminal's afraid of you or they think they can't, you know, physically overpower you or something like that. But they don't want to. If um, right, why would they pick
0: you and they can pick somebody else? that's easier.
1: Exactly. So if I'm, you know, one of the things they're looking for is people that don't look real confident, that don't look like they're paying attention, that that you know, look like they can get in do their thing and get out real quickly. That's what they want to so
0: do. So you're not advocating being paranoid and always freaking out. Just being aware, just paying attention and being aware. Yeah. And that's,
1: you know, like I said, the more you pay attention, we talk about, um, there's another thing they talk about. Cause the, um, with criminals, the criminals get to make all the decisions. The criminal decides who they're going to attack. They decide when they decide where they decide what weapon they decide all that stuff. You're always reacting to what the criminal's doing. So the thing to do is you want to break that, what they call the OODA loop. Um, and that's something that comes from the military, that it's observe, orient, decide, and act. And all people do that. All humans do that. Criminals sure. do that. So what you want to do is you want to disrupt the criminal's OODA loop. You want to make them react to you. So, for instance, if you're coming out, um, say you're leaving the Home Depot uh, in the evening, you're walking out to your car, and um, you know, you're in condition yellow, so you're paying attention, you're looking. And you notice there's two, two young guys are standing by the cart return area. So, okay, probably nothing, but that that's a little bit odd. People don't just usually hang out by the cart return area. So, um, so you've noticed them. So you're walking toward your car and now they look at you again, maybe nothing, but most people are not going to look and watch you. They might glance and see, and then look the other way or something like that. But now you got two guys watching you as you walk to your car and now they start moving toward you. So now you should be in that that condition yellow, maybe going to condition orange where I'm seeing something and okay, this could be a problem. And now you're what ifing, Okay, if they do this, I'm doing that. And um, so you're watching, you go to your car and now they split up as they're walking toward you. Really weird behavior. Normal people don't do that. So that's the kind of stuff you're looking for. So the sooner
0: you see that, the more options you have to react to it. Right. So So if you're walking through the parking lot in the dark on your phone and you're not paying attention, next thing you know, one guy jumps out from the front of behind one car and the other guy tackles you from as you turn or something.
1: Yeah. If you don't, if you don't notice them till they're right next to you, your options are limited. You know, if you notice them as they start walking toward you and looking at you from the, the, um, shopping, um, return area, you can do something. You can say, okay, maybe I don't need to go to my car now. I turn around and go back in the store. That disrupts their OODA loop because now they had their plan. They were going to do this or do that. And it's, oh, heck, he moved. He did something else. So now they have to react to what you're doing. And uh, the idea is to make him pick somebody else. That's it's the whole idea of it. So,
0: oh, okay, so, yeah. yeah,
1: just paying attention. You know, pick the other yeah. guy.
0: You know, I used to. Uh, I was a scuba diver back in the day, and and I always had. I always told my dad, you know, I don't, I don't have to be stronger than a shark. I just have to f- swim faster than you. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: well, he didn't appreciate it, it too much, but.
1: Yeah. That depends. I mean, unless you're, you know, unless you're Jason Bourne or you're Jack Reacher or something mm-hmm. to where it doesn't matter. <laughs> Most of us, it matters. So, uh, you gotcha. know, if you can avoid that stuff. Um,
0: so are you saying that, uh, we have 8,000 people in, uh, San Diego County that within the last few years got their, uh, CCW, right? Their, yeah. their carry permit. Um, how many of those people actually, um, are, are there numbers or stats that how many of those people have actually had to, show their weapon or at any of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, they say it happens uh, quite a bit across the country, more mm-hmm. so than you would think. Um, it's hard to get exact numbers with that kind of stuff. The numbers that you hear across the country are anywhere, I think, from 1 million to 2.5 million times a year. That kind of stuff happens. Okay. Um The, the reason it's hard to get numbers on that is because, okay, if, if somebody – is attacked saying they, they draw their gun. Usually what would happen is the criminal or whoever's doing the attacking is going to turn and run. So if that's what, if that would, if that's what happens, then there's okay. The guns never fired. You know, you may call the police, but the police aren't going to, they're going to say, Oh, was the gun fired? No. So they're not really going to care. Right.
0: So there's no reason to mark it down and keep track of it. So
1: it's hard to get good records on that kind of stuff. So, so there's, there's estimates out there. It just depends on who you listen to.
0: You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I know several people that carry that have permits to carry and um, they seem to be the most cautious people I know. Whereas I think um, society makes them out to be like the people that are, you know, trying to be dirty hairy and, mm-hmm. you know, run around and brandish their gun everywhere. You know, they, they just seem to be more aware of what's going on. They're paying attention. They're not panicked. They're not afraid, but they're aware and responsible.
1: Yeah. And I, I just wrote about this uh, last week, actually on my Substack at getagrip.substack.com. Um, John Lott, Dr. John Lott is one of the, um, I guess one of the primary sources, if if you want information that's that's not really biased, that's accurate information on gun policy and gun laws and things like that, uh, John Lott's the place to go. And he has the Crime Research um, or is it the Crime Prevention Research Center, I think, is John Lot. And if you just Google Doctor Lot or Doctor John Lott, you'll find his website. And um, he puts out a um, he puts out a report every year on concealed carry uh, across the country. And, um, he was just talking about, um, about that kind of thing and about how law abiding concealed carriers are. It was part of his report this, and he does this every year. Um, but they took the, um, they took a look at concealed carriers in Florida and Texas and they use those two States cause they're the, the biggest States. I think Florida has got 2.7 million concealed carriers. Uh, Texas has over a million. There's, um, let's say there's like 10 or 12 States that have over a million concealed carriers. Um, but they've looked, and uh, based on Florida and Texas, concealed carriers are convicted of firearms um, violations at one twelfth the rate of uh, law enforcement officers. So they're a very law-abiding bunch. Because if you think about it, um, if you want to go, if you're going to go through everything you need to go through to legally carry a firearm, you're kind of a rule follower, and you do that kind of stuff. And people are are pretty conscientious about it. And um, because realistically, if you wanted to carry a gun, you'd carry a gun. I mean, nobody's going to know if uh, that's what you wanted to do. Sure. But people that go through the process to do it legally um, tend to be really law-abiding people. And um, they tend to be pretty responsible because one of the things I worry about is as, as an instructor, um, you know, we go through, people go through this little eight-hour course, uh, that the state mandates, and I'll look at, you know, a class because we typically mm-hmm. have about 18 people or so in the class, and, um, I know at least half of them are not going to set foot in another classroom, you know, maybe hardly to the range for the two years, you know, until I see them again for their renewal. And um, you know, I, the, it concerns me a little bit that um, maybe people don't take it as seriously as they should. But on the other hand, if it was a problem, you would hear about it because that's exactly what the media would like to see. you know, if somebody makes a mistake, a concealed carrier, you're going to see that all over the news and you don't really see that kind of stuff. It doesn't happen, uh, really that often.
0: I, I wonder how many people that, uh, go through the process actually carry regularly.
1: Yeah. See, that's the other thing too. Um, because again, it's hard to get that kind of information. Sure. Um, a lot of, and, and I can't go by the people I know cause I'm in a kind of a biased world, you know, the people sure. I know are gun people. Yeah. You have your thumb on so, the scale. Yeah. yeah. So they carry <laughs> exactly, but no, you're right. I had a friend that, um, because of where he worked, he worked for one of the defense contractors. So he couldn't carry at work. So, okay. He was still working at the time. So, all right, I can't, can't carry at work. You're not going to leave a car. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, and he was one of those, those people that, you know, and I, I always tell people that if if that's what you're going to do, think of do something else, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't do this. Cause, um, the other thing I do is I do these, uh, concealed carry workshops and we do them all over the County, um, we were I know before COVID, we were doing probably seven or so a month uh, all around the county. And I think we're back up to that. I know I do one um, every month up at Poway Weapons and Gear. And um, we—you know it's varied. I used to do it every other week. And then we went to every week for a while. And now we're back to once a month. Um, but it's a, just a seminar explaining to people, okay, the process.
0: You want to get a concealed carry license. This is what you have to go through. Gotcha. It's and, just explaining what happens. Yeah, all actually... the steps. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you're all... scaring away the people that aren't really interested. Well, hopefully,
1: one of the things that yeah. I say to them, um, cause I'm catching them early there cause mm-hmm. they haven't started the process yet and it's going to take the better part of a year once you get started. And, um, you know, what I'll tell them, I said, if you're going to do this, embrace what I call the carry lifestyle, you know, if you're going to do this, do it and, you know, carry every day because, um, for mo- even the people that are gun people uh, most of them are gun people i guess but uh there's a lot of new people now though in the last
0: couple of years sure I, i'm one of those folks yeah uh,
1: okay that have bought the gun they're not they're not really gun people they don't shoot a whole lot they're trying to learn basically Yeah, i'm usually like
0: once every four to six weeks yeah yeah
1: and you're they're leaping up into the concealed carry realm which um you know that's a whole other level there really and um but i tell people okay if you're going to do it though you want to do it if you're if you're going to carry. Twice a or twice a year when you go to your brother in law's house because he lives in a sketchy area or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, do something else, buy pepper spray or something because, you know, the only time usually um, people, if you think about it, you know, if you're not a concealed carrier, when you the only time you handle a loaded firearm is when you're on the firing line at the range, and you decide, okay, I'm going to load, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to do this. If you're going to carry concealed, you're handling that loaded firearm in your house a couple of times a day when you get up in the morning, when you get dressed, when you come home at night, every time you get in and out of the car. Well, yeah, Yeah. depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so you have to be comfortable about it and you have to be aware and switched on. And really the only way to do that is to embrace it and carry whenever and wherever you're legally allowed to carry. And because there's basic things and like, I'll talk about this in the class too, is like, do you carry with a round in the chamber? makes everybody nervous everybody's nervous about it the first
0: time but you absolutely have to right because if you don't then why are you carrying
1: well the thing is you're not you know it's not like the movies you're not going to have time Mm -hmm. uh to do that you know we we talked about the situational awareness thing uh criminals you're not the first one they've attacked they've done this a whole bunch of times you know so your side you're the rookie in this and um they're quick and they're smooth and they're going to get up close to you and then they're going to do their thing and chances are really good. You're not going to have time to, uh, to draw and rack a around into the chamber and, um, do that. Plus that, you know, you're doing this under stress, you're in a hurry, your chances of goofing that up and causing a malfunction or something are also pretty significant. And, um, and realistically, there's no reason not to carry with around in the chamber. The gun's not going to do anything. It's in your holster. The the trigger's covered. Nothing's going to happen. But it makes everybody nervous. It, it may be nervous sure. when I did it. it. It takes a month or two to to work up to that. But it's that kind of stuff, you know. You have to be thinking about it, and you have to embrace it. If you're only going to carry the thing, you know, a couple of times every couple of months or something, you're going to be nervous with it, and it's you know, you're more likely to hurt yourself or somebody than than to have the thing save you. So,
0: so if somebody is concerned about their well being or their family's well being when they're out, maybe instead of just going from zero to carrying, maybe they take a class on situational awareness and then share that information with their family so that when you're walking across the parking lot, going to the store, um, everyone's kind of paying attention to what's going on and or, or not, but at least you have one or more people paying attention and steering your, your family out of harm's way instead of just blindle- blindlessly walking right into it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Cause everybody you. doesn't need to carry.
1: No, no, no. And it's not for everybody. And uh-huh. it's a big responsibility. That's the other thing too. When I do those seminars, I thank people right at the beginning for taking the responsibility, accepting that responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. And, um, you know, and you're going to spend some time, a significant amount of time and a significant amount of money to do it correctly. And, you know, I thank people for doing that, but I also urge them to do it correctly because sure, um, the more armed citizens out there that we have, the ones that are doing it correctly, that have taken the time to learn how to do it, and they're doing it the way they should, the safer we all are. It's safer for me. It's safer for my family. It's safer for everyone else. And that's
0: just the, the, the numbers, the stats, the facts that are out there. Yeah. It's not and an opinion.
1: No. And that's, and again, it's, uh, and John Lott talks about this stuff too, um, and different things, really great source for information. Um, but he, um, you know, places that have more concealed carriers tend to have, um, you know, lower crimes or lower rates of crime like that. And it's not, and, and Lott will even say it's not, you can't directly relate it to, okay, more, more concealed carriers, therefore less crime. It, it tends to work out that way, but there's a lot of factors that, that come into play that, that cause those numbers. So it's really hard to say, okay, it's because of this exactly, but it just seems to correlate with, well, from a criminal's point of view, if I know that, okay, there's a good chance that somebody I attack out here is going to be armed. Um, you know, that, that comes into their thinking. And, uh, you'll see if you read interviews with, uh, with criminals that, that they talk, that they do sometimes, um, they'll say that they, they're more afraid of an armed citizen than a police officer. Because they, the thinking is the police officer is going to be more disciplined and is less likely to shoot them. uh, Where they're saying an armed citizen is less likely to be have that kind of control. I don't know how true that is, but I mean that's from the criminals' point of view. That's what they're thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so yeah, like I said, it's uh, you know people are pretty responsible, but you know a gun is not for everybody. It's like I said, it's a huge responsibility, Um, and maybe just the situational awareness. uh, Pepper spray is another uh, really good option. And, you know, I carry pepper spray. A lot of us do. I think I did a class here for uh, some of the realtors on Mm -hmm. that. And, um, again, it's not, it won't help you in a deadly threat situation. If the bad guy's got a knife or a gun, pepper spray is not what you want to do. Um, but again, for a lot of problems, um, you know, cause most, you know, probably, I don't know what the percentage would be, but most problems are not gun problems. You know, there's other things. If you're younger, um, you know, I probably shouldn't say it that way, but when I was younger, I, I you know, I trained in martial arts. Um, I felt fairly confident that I could take care of myself most of the time. If not, I could run when I was younger, which I sure. <laughs> I don't do as well now. So, um, you know, it just depends on your capabilities, your situation, what you feel comfortable with. But, um, you know, firearms should be an option. And uh, like, again, it's not for everybody, but, but it should be an option. If you decide, yeah, that's the option for you, then you should be able to do that.
0: Awesome. Well, I've noticed that the price of ammo is dropping. It's, it's a lot more affordable this yeah, year than it was last year. It's less bad. Yeah. Yeah. Less bad. I'm not saying it's cheap.
1: Well, cause with yeah. my, in my case too, and, and I reload, I reload most of my nine mil or all my nine millimeter. And um, cause I shoot competitively. So I burn up a lot of it. So it was much cheaper back in the day <laughs> mm-hmm. to, uh, reload. And over the last couple of years, when all the stuff with the ammo happened, reloading supplies went away and, um, it was hard to find. I couldn't find primers for almost two years. I just, um, just recently started reloading again. And, um, i looked in my logbooks I keep a log book of, you know, when I reload and what I use and all that stuff. And uh, I was thinking, okay, it's been seven or eight months since I've reloaded 18 months. Oh, wow. That's what my logbook said. So, um, yeah, finally that stuff is coming back and, uh, it's still pricey. It's still more than it should be, but it's not as bad as it was. Um, but I learned a good lesson with it too, because, um, you know, it's like with the reloading, I, I probably shoot about 10,000 rounds, I guess a year with uh, the nine millimeter. And, um, you know, I had, uh, at the time when all the COVID stuff and everything started, I think I had like 12,000 primers. So I thought, okay, well, uh, that's pretty good. And then, you know, they completely went away and I got down to like 6,000 and, um, you know, I was thinking, well, I don't want to reload anymore. Cause I can't replace these things. And, um, I was reading an article in one of the magazines and the guy was, uh, the author of the article was saying that, um, but yeah, this kind of thing happens from time to time. And he said he, his advice was to have 10 years worth. Oh my of gosh. Ammo on hand. Seems a little extreme. That's what I thought. I thought that was a little excessive, but five mm. years is reasonable, I think. And, uh, so that now that's my, uh, my goal now is to, uh, cause you know, if you figure out, okay, how often do you shoot? say so how much do you shoot a month? And then just scale that out. Um, so you wouldn't have to pay this, you know, these kinds of prices and things like that. I talked to a, uh, a friend of mine that organizes charity shoots and um he and his girlfriend they just came across the deal it was just before all the COVID stuff happened and they got a deal on a big like he said almost a pallet full of ammunition. Oh wow and they bought it and then all this stuff hit and they he's he told me, and this was well into the COVID thing. Uh, he said, yeah, we haven't bought an ammunition since we haven't, haven't had to, we got plenty. (laughs) Got a whole pallet in the garage. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, you need to plan for this kind of stuff. And especially, you know, the way our politics and things are now in the country, you don't know what's going to happen really. And, um, I think it's good to have, you know, figure out what you need, what you use, and then have enough of that on hand. So you don't have to worry about these things.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, um, I wasn't anti gun just didn't think I needed to have one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had all the craziness going on in La Mesa yeah. and the, you know, some interesting stuff happening in the middle of Santee. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of those situations where I was like, well, you know, maybe I should look into it a little more. And it's been a great way for me to, to reconnect with my son, um, yeah. which, um, you know, he lives in Arizona and he's, uh, he likes to call it America. Um, yep, that's what I call it. Yeah. yeah. And so my <laughs> wife was like, what's, what's with this fascination of guns yeah. all of a sudden? And I said, watch this. And so then I, I text my son, should I get a, a, an, an AR rifle or AR pistol? And then like right away he called and she goes, wow, that was quick. I'm like, yes. Yeah. If I ask him, Hey, are you coming over this Thanksgiving? Yeah, it might be a couple of days, but you know, you want to talk to him <laughs> about a handgun or a rifle or something. He, picks up the phone, called me right away.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because I mean, I hunted as a kid. Um, and I actually, I still have my shotgun that my parents got me when I was like 14. I still use that for sporting clays now. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't, you know, when I went in the Navy, when I was 18, I joined the Navy and, uh, I packed the shotgun away and I really didn't do anything with guns till about about maybe eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. something like that. And I, I tend to get way into stuff when I get into the stuff. Yeah. I have the same problem. So, yeah. um, I was thought, and, and to be truthful, I think president Obama was the one that inspired me to to get back in the guns seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd always want, I'd been interested in handguns. I mean, I, I had to shoot them in the Navy and boot camp, and, uh, but you know, we were on submarines, so, you know, we had a handful of really big bullets and yeah. that was pretty much what we did. Um, <laughs> But, you know, with all the stuff that that was happening under the Obama administration, I was thinking, okay, yeah, it's probably time I learned how to do this. And, um, you know, and I did what I would typically do right? I took a class. So I went to Poway Weapons and Gear, took their beginner handgun class, and I didn't even know what I wanted to get. And everybody there, you know, when you go to these different ranges or different schools, like um, everybody has the gun that they like. It it, You go up there at Poway, they're all ex-law enforcement people. Everybody's got a Glock. You know, mm-hmm. Everything is clock up there. Whereas, like, I train at a uh, gun site out in Arizona now, and I try to get out there for a week long class once or twice a year. You go
0: out there, everybody's got a 1911. That's a big 1911 oh, that, area. That, that's funny because my son, uh, when I was considering it, you know, one of the other things was I'm a real estate agent and I started mm-hmm. working outside of my zone of comfort. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm like, what, what do I need to do? And he goes, oh, you need to get a, a 38 special. And uh, I go, what the hell am I going to do with that? He goes, oh, you're going to shove it in their gut and fire it three times. I'm like, seriously? And he goes, dad, if you're not going to do it, don't carry. I'm not saying you need to do it all the time, but yeah. that's that's your that's your defense. You're, you're paying attention to the lockbox. Somebody comes over and knocks you on the back of the head. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to be shooting at them from 20 yards away. I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, okay. So he goes, but don't get that gun because you'll never shoot it. <laughs> so I got a 1911 uh-huh. and that's a super fun gun. Yeah. And yeah, I, I love mine. And I uh, ended up getting a, a 38 mm-hmm. because, you know, someday too. I might need to do that. <laughs> so that's fun. And so I got a couple others, but it's, um, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the Arizona and, and, and the 1911. Yeah. Well, and that's how it starts. So I, I bought, bought my first, and it was funny
1: because everybody had a Glock there. Mm-hmm. So it was time to buy, uh, buy the gun. And I said, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll get a Glock. And, uh, you know, I said, what should I get? A Glock 17 is the standard that everybody has. And, uh, I said, okay, well, I'll get that. And at the time I wasn't even thinking about concealed carry. I was just trying to learn how to shoot a a handgun. And, um, I was going to buy that and they didn't have any there, but they said, well, we have this Glock 34. It's more or less the same thing. It's, it's actually the same lower, uh, the slide assembly is about eight tenths of an inch longer. And, uh, okay. So I bought that. And as it turns out, the Glocks fit my hand really well. They work really well. And the 34 is better uh, for competitive shooting, which is what I ended up doing anyway. But, um, you know, then I've, I've got like four of them. Now I've got the 34, I've got two 19s, which is what I carry. And then I've got the 26, which is what I started carrying. Cause when you first start, you're concerned with, you know, you think everybody's going to see it. So you get the smallest, tiniest thing you can get, which is a Glock 26. And then once you get comfortable with it, and ah, this is silly, I don't need this little gun. I need something a little bit bigger, but, um, but yeah, that's how it starts and you just get into it. And, um, you know, and I got, I started doing that and I was working the, um, so I bought this, this gun and I started, I was learning how to shoot it and I was taking some classes and, um, I was working the, um, the Western days parade in lakeside. I was volunteering during the parade day and inside of, um, a half an hour, I ran into like two different friends, I think. And I said, Hey, what would you do last weekend? Oh, we went to this gun owner's dinner. It was the San Diego County Gun Owners. It was their first annual dinner. They did it on the uh, Midway mm-hmm. on the aircraft carrier. And um, I said, wow, both of these people told me about this. So, uh, so I thought, okay, well, let me uh, find out about this. So you know, one of the guys was a good friend, Frank Hilliker. That owns the Air oh, Air yeah, Channel. yeah, Frank. So um, I asked Frank, and he, he gave me Michael Schwartz's number. So I called Michael and uh, talked to Michael for about an hour and, and joined up. And then um, a couple of weeks later, I think I called Michael back and I said, you know, I want to get more involved. What else uh, can we do here? And, you know, it was the organization was brand new. He said, hi, you want to be a board member? So Yeah, OK. That's funny. <laughs> so it went from there. And, uh, and I think I joined, you know, I didn't join as a regular member. I joined as a 10 ring member at first. So I was getting way into it already yeah. and, uh, then just went from there. But, um, now, like I said, I, I work, um, range safety officer shifts up at my, the club I belong to is, um, the Lemon Grove and Gun Club and the okay. is up in Alpine. And, uh, I try to work there as a range safety officer every week. Um, I'm teaching concealed carry with Bill DC over at, um, CCW USA. So we teach, um, the concealed carry stuff. I'm doing all this other stuff. I shoot competitively. So like I got way into it, but, but it's a lot of fun. Um, it's uh, interesting, you know, it's, uh, cause you start collecting different things. I like, you know, as an engineer, I like the mechanical part of it. Um, I like revolvers and I was just fortunate enough. My, um, my father-in-law who passed away about five years ago, I uh, was a retired uh, NIS agent, Naval Investigative uh, Services guy. And, um, my uh, mother-in-law had the, um, or his wife, I guess would be a stepmother-in-law, but, um, had uh, a couple of his guns and, uh, you know, she didn't know what to do with them. She had them in a, uh, they were in a uh, file cabinet in the garage wrapped up in a t-shirt. They were all loaded still. Oh my gosh. And, um, two revolvers. And I finally uh, was able to get them and they're just beautiful old revolvers back from that era. One of them's a, um, a Smith and Wesson model 19 dash one, which was made in 1959. It's just in beautiful condition, but these are guns, you know, the sentimental part these are guns that he carried probably on the job. Sure. And, um, you know, and I even got, uh, cause when I uh, got the gun, she gave me, uh, he had like six or seven boxes of his ammunition. So I was uh, able the other day to actually shoot uh, the one gun with, um, you know, his ammunition in it, which was pretty cool. And, uh, the other gun was a little bit sticky. So a friend of mine came over the other night and we took it apart and cleaned it all up. So that one's ready to go now. So I'll try that, uh, again, but like you were saying, you know, it's, um, Fun. Like my my son's not a gun guy, but he enjoys it. he likes it when he does it, so he'll go sure. to the range once in a while with me. But he's excited about shooting his grandfather's gun, so we'll we'll do that here at some
0: point. Well, when I was uh, when I was twelve, lived in Santee for quite a while. Uh, my parents went to the old Kmart over there, that was uh, where the Home Depot is now mm-hmm. in El Cajon, and um, you know I got a a ten twenty two little Ruger ten twenty two for for Christmas, and we shot it until they built houses over off a of weld. There was a little range up there. Uh huh. And then, uh, it sat there till we started going to the desert when I was in my 20s and then didn't think anything of it. He had the little lock on it, had it in the closet, you know, in the overhead. And then when my son was, uh, my son was 18, he was asking, Hey, what are you going to do with that, that old gun you got up there? And he took it out. Look, it, you know, it's probably only has like 300 rounds through the thing in Mm -hmm. its whole lifetime. And so he, um, he inherited that gun. And then uh my grandson Maddox has just turned nine. And when he was six, Nick was showing him how to shoot and, and and teaching him the gun safety and all that stuff. And it's really neat to see just that gun going from me when I was twelve to my grandson who gets to go out and shoot it and Yeah, see, uh, and that it. that's the
1: part of and that's the thing with a lot of these anti gun people and stuff, They just don't understand You know, and some of them are, a lot of them are just misinformed and they they don't understand really what 99% of people do with guns. There's so many aspects to this, but that's part of, I was telling you my shotgun from my parents got that for me when I was probably 14 or something. And I told you I packed that away when I went in the Navy, Mm -hmm. when I unpacked it about seven or eight years ago, whenever I did that. The, um, the cheesy little vinyl case it was in just like disintegrated when I pulled out, but the gun was in great shape, it had a little bit of surface rust on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was using that to shoot sporting clays uh, for a while. And I still do once in a while, but, um, when I went through my uh, shotgun instructor course, um, it was, it's essentially a trap course cause it's an NRA course. And, um, you know, the, this is a dangerous thing too, with guns. Cause, um, you see stuff at the range and that's I've bought like three or four guns now because of guns I tried out at the range. Sure. And we're in that class and this guy, uh one of the guys in the class hands me this Browning Satori. It's over and under shotgun. And it's a beautiful gun. And I you know, I shot that a couple of times. Oh, gotta have one of these. So it's like two thousand dollars later. So now I have another shotgun. Yes. I, but, I get that uh every <laughs> once in a while. Do you need it? No. I need <laughs> no, I it. Need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, need's different. Yeah. But, uh, but those are, and like I said, there's so many aspects of the hobby. Um, like I was saying, when I was a, a kid, I was, you know, we hunted rabbits, but I mean, we were never serious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I had the gun mostly cause my friends and my cousins all did that. So, okay. Yeah. I'll go hunt with you. Um, so I was never a hunter and, um, I'm not, I guess I am now, but, uh, not uh, officially I am, or technically I am. Cause, uh, cause you've done it. What it's I am like,
0: I'm a golfer, but I don't really golf. I, I Go yeah right. i guess you could say it
1: because i'm like uh, what i am is a big cook and barbecue guy and i've got a big smoker in the backyard
0: oh there you go and
1: uh so smoking pork and uh going out and hunting like a wild boar and smoking that up sounded really uh really uh, inviting to me and uh i got invited by a guy at the club a friend of mine uh said hey we're going out we go every year so i got a chance to do that last year and um actually this year in june we did it and um that was an excuse to buy a gun because uh, he said, I got everything you need. You don't have to buy anything. I said, of course I have to buy something. you got to get Maybe something, yeah. <laughs> so I'd been wanting to learn how to shoot longer range stuff because I'd never done any precision rifle stuff. So I bought a um, a Savage 110 bolt-action rifle, and I got it in 6.5 Creedmoor. And uh, so I thought with that one, I could learn how to shoot precision, longer range stuff, and I could also use it for the boar hunting so, um, so I got my first wild boar last year and we're, we're planning the trip again this year. We're going to go up in May this time. Very cool. Um, did you butcher
0: a, it up yourself or did you take it someplace? No,
1: it's, it's great. I mean, yeah, you, you have to pay for all the stuff, but, oh, um, yeah. but we did a guided thing. They, they got us a shot. Um, I was fortunate. I, I hit mine the first time my my boar, it was probably before the sun came up, you know, it was, it was light as the first 15 minutes. And, um, you know, and I hit mine with the first shot. It was great. Um, no, the guides, uh, they gut it for you. We get back to where we were staying and they have a big, uh, cleaning area there. They skin them, clean them up, uh, cut them in half. Well, it's kind of like going on a fishing boat and they get it all dialed in pretty much. Yeah. And we dropped them, uh, the next day we threw them in the cooler. Cause we did this up at Paso Robles, which mm. is probably about six hours North of here. And, um, threw them in the coolers the next day on the way home. Uh, there's a processor near LA that my friend uses. We dropped the meat off and about two weeks later I had, all these roasts i had ribs i had sausage i had all this meat but um you have to go buy a big freezer i had to buy another well no the freezer came uh the year before because some friends of ours who moved to idaho raised steer Mm -hmm. uh so i bought my first quarter steer a couple of years ago so i had to buy the uh, freezer for that but i had plenty of room so i was ready to go. go awesome but um yeah it's all it's that kind of stuff and even the precision rifle stuff like um you know, I've been able to. I've hit uh, targets now at twelve hundred and eighty yards with the uh, the rifle. So I thought, wow, that's cool. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, there's just so many aspects to. Uh, where do you, you go know, to, to shoot twelve hundred and eighty yards? The uh, well, where we teach, it's up on private property up in Escondido. Okay, uh, so they could shoot actually out to a mile uh, wow. up there because there's some serious people that that do serious long range stuff up there, but. Um, but yeah, I'm happy if I could shoot out, you know, a thousand yards. That's that's great. I don't have to go any further than that. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun. That kind of stuff is fun. I'm still working um, in the fifteen to twenty five, <laughs> you know, yard range. Yeah, it's, well, it's a yeah. you know, it's a matter of time. How many? How much time do you want to spend doing it?
0: Exactly. And, well, um, I ha- I have to get past the eighty cents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got to start reloading. You know, yeah, oh, another, oh, another thing. To buy. that's a
0: whole other thing. Well, that was yeah. a, we started shooting trap now because
1: what we'll do is. Um, I'll work my uh, my range safety officership. Usually I'll work on Fridays if I'm not teaching. And um, so I'll work from 8 to 12. And then at 12, a uh, couple of the guys that come up and shoot will walk next door and we'll shoot trap for an hour or two. And, um, you know, I started burning up all these shotgun rounds. So uh, uh, naturally, one of these guys, they all reload stuff up there. So uh, he had a shotgun reloading press that he sold me. So I'm just starting to get into that now. But like I said, there's so many just different aspects of this hobby, different things you can do. And, and it
0: kind of folds right into all of the other stuff that you do with, uh, your volunteerism and, and the things that you do in the community. It's all, I mean, it's like one or two steps away, you know? but well, it is. Uh, well, cause if you yeah. look at this, like the whole
1: gun owners thing is, is all volunteer stuff. Doing the radio show with Michael is all volunteer. Um, the articles I write really, I just do that. Cause, um, you know, I was telling Michael, I said, Hey, we, we should have a blog page. And he said, Go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing you could do is so, come up with, uh, it, with a yes. great idea in front of Michael because he it'll give you a job. Well, yeah, yeah, which is which is good though. I mean, that's that's how volunteers should work cuz all volunteer organizations are the same. I mean, cuz when I was um, you know, search and rescue was volunteer, ski patrol was volunteer, uh the gun owners is all volunteer. And I've been on the boards to all those organizations mm-hmm. and, you know, it's always the same thing. You get like 10% of the people are doing everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you find something you really like, like I enjoy writing. Uh, so, you know, Michael got the website guy to set up the blog page and now, you know, I write an article every week for them and I've uh, been doing that. That's probably been four or five years now, just about every week. Very um, cool. Yeah, I spend
0: most of my time volunteering for small business. Uh huh. On the boards for the East County Economic Development Council uh-huh. and the Santee Chamber and, and stuff like that. Well, that's see, and that's me. what it's about. And you find stuff you enjoy because
1: my wife is very active. She's an oh edu- well, retired educator now. She was a teacher and then a principal, but uh, she's very active at the the Lakeside Chamber. She was the uh, the chair of the chamber for a couple of years. Um, the same thing with the uh, the Stadium Association because all uh-huh. the, you know they do those rodeos. We lived out there. You know, and how far are we? We're a mile and a half from the rodeo ground, something like that. I, mm-hmm. We were out there probably 10, 15 years before I ever went to a rodeo. And uh, now, you know, the last probably 10 years, we volunteer every year. And oh, they're the, super uh, fun. Oh, they're a lot of fun. And the proceeds go to the kids out there in Lakeside, right. which is cool. They donate because um, the Optimists run the Bulls Only Rodeo. And then the Stadium Association does the uh, the annual, the other rodeo. And, uh, and they both donate to uh, kids groups. The kids will come up, um, to them and they'll put a presentation together and we're doing this and we'd like this much money. And then they, uh, they divvy it out to them. But, um, but that's what people need to do. I mean, you need, people need to volunteer, find something you like and just get in and do it. Cause, uh, like I was telling you, I was, I had my EMT, uh, certificate for like 25 years and I, I got it originally when I was doing search and rescue, I didn't need it for search and rescue. A little red cross thing would have worked fine with search and rescue, but I was always interested in that. I had the chance to go through the class. So I went through it. Yeah. You it. don't
0: seem like you're a half-assed kind of guy. And yeah, you know? I get carried
1: away with yeah. stuff. And, um, so I got all that and, um, you know, and I had that for a long time and, uh, it lets you do stuff that's fun. Cause I always liked the, um, emergency medical stuff for that. That kind of thing was always interesting to me. The thing with with um, search and rescue, you didn't get to do a lot of that because they're you know people are when you find them they're either really hot, really cold, or really dead. You don't <laughs> you don't get a lot of trauma and stuff. Ski patrol, on the other hand, was like just all trauma stuff every weekend, so that was uh, much more exciting. Uh, yeah, but um, I, I can't handle that kind of stuff. But what was Not that my thing? Because uh, you get opportunities like that too mm-hmm. as part of the volunteering. Because I got to work with the uh, sheriff's off road enforcement team out at Acateo at the off road park. And, uh, cause what happens out there, they were getting these huge crowds of people on the, uh, there's like six winter weekends. I think if you're an Mm -hmm. off-roader, they're real big out there and they were having all these wrecks and accidents and things. And the, there's not enough rangers out there to do anything. So they asked the sheriffs to come out and, um, the sheriffs at first weren't, aren't really trained. I mean, they get some first aid training. So then they started using the sheriff's search and rescue medical unit out there to supplement them. And, um, the rule was you had to be an EMT. And since I was on search and rescue, uh, they offered it to us, but you had to be the EMT. So I was an EMT. And, uh, and that was fun. I mean, we got to, cause you're out there and you're an EMT, which, uh, you know, the people that aren't trained in it, that sounds like, wow, an EMT, that's how I always thought about it. When you're in the field, that's kind of the lowest rung, the EMT. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yet, you know, sometimes you'd be the senior guy, I'd be calling in helicopters to evacuate people, and uh, you know, it was just a blast. But I mean, that's all volunteer stuff and you get you get to do a lot of stuff that's a lot of fun. So, I mean, and you're giving back to the community. So, people should do that. I always encourage people to do
0: that. Yeah, you know, I think there's a, um a younger generation that doesn't realize that there's so many more things that they could do uh with their time other than some of the stare at the phone or the computer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, we don't encourage them to do that, but you know, Joe, thanks for all the stuff that you do uh, for San Diego and the East County. And, and uh, thanks for uh, coming in today. Hopefully uh, we can uh, take a class or two. Yeah. uh, That would be really cool. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas everybody. Joe, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being the last one of the year and uh, (laughs) we'll see everybody on the other side.